This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by TouringPlans.com. Head over to TouringPlans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the Crowd Calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the Touring Plans to save time and money waiting in line. TouringPlans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. again everybody to the disney film project podcast that's right it's us we are back to talk about the films of the walt disney company uh, be they marvel pixar disney toon studios lucasfilm every sort of thing in between disney channel original movies we touch on those we touch on it all uh everything far and wide under the umbrella of walt disney entertainment we are here to talk about it on the disney film project podcast i'm your host ryan kilpatrick and along with the folks we are about to talk to we run disneyfilmproject.com where you can find the show notes for this show you can find blu-ray and dvd reviews you can find reviews of old shorts old films as well as the newest things in theater so make sure you go and check out the content over at disneyfilmproject.com first of all today we have one of our fine film experts that is mr todd perlmutter who i believe has actually escaped from which mountain um escaped from it i uh built the condo there oh very nice okay yeah. right. it's very lovely i imagine real estate is uh goes rather well up there it's flying i see what you did there uh also joining us who you can find over at justpressplay.net you can find our lovely co-host miss rachel cole how are you this evening rachel I'm doing good. I actually just finished up my Halloween costume, so I'm all ready to go for Halloween. Very nice, very nice. Also joining us, of course, we have our fine producer, and that is Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find on Twitter at CherylP3 or at about.me slash CherylP3. How are you, Cheryl? I'm doing good. I'm wondering if these guys had any connection to Battle D. Ray. I'm, I'm hoping not for their sake. I was wondering if they may be distant relatives. It's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. Like this is a this is a a hidden sequel to Moon Pilot. Possibly. It's 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 definitely possible. All right, so we are beginning at it's not Witch Mountain month because it's not a month. It's like 3 weeks and it's at the end of one month and and that sort of thing. But we are beginning our look at the Witch Mountain films, so we're going to do all three films. Escape to Witch Mountain, Return to Return is it Return from Witch Mountain, Return to Return from Return from, okay. That's the one that always gets everybody tripped up, right? Everyone thinks Escape from Witch Mountain, Return to Witch Mountain, but it's the other way around. Correct. Uh, and then we have Race to Witch Mountain, starring the great one, the people's champ, The Rock. Which is really the only reason to watch that movie. <laughs> but we'll talk about that when we get to that one. Uh, but first, it all starts with Escape to Witch Mountain, the 1975 film from Disney. Uh, we talked about this when we talked about some other Disney films in the 70s, like Candleshoe, Disney live action in the 70s. Generally not a recipe for success. Uh, this is one of the most notable of the Disney films from 1975. It made a decent amount of money, $20 million. And it is one, as we mentioned, that has spawned at least the one sequel, direct sequel to this film, and then Race to Witch Mountain, which is sort of 
kind of keeping the intellectual property alive. So uh, yeah, somewhat can, important. <laughs> can, yeah, it, like you said, it's it considered one of the most successful in terms of earnings versus cost ratio Disney live action films ever. So yes, it is. It is considered that. You are correct. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I, I can't add to that because it's 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 interesting because I think it's one of those if you're a Disney fan of of any depth, right? That you've heard about, and many people have probably seen, especially people our age. Todd, I imagine like you probably saw this when you were younger, as did I. Um, I made a diorama f- about the book as well when I was in elementary school. We're gonna need pictures of that. I my mom still has it. That's the only way it's happening, and I doubt that. Okay. Well, we'll make a phone call later on this evening. Uh, yes, but as you mentioned, it, it, it is based on the book written by Alexander Key from 1968. Uh, the book is, is slightly different, but focuses on similar thing. a similar thing. Uh, Tony and Tia, these two orphan siblings who have paranormal abilities, and everybody's after them for their abilities, and they end up uh, finding out something surprising at the end of the story, which we will talk about when we talk about the plot of the film. Uh, I mean, they find that, out and interesting things. That that's kind of sort of Key's whole thing too. Is uh, he w- is famous for writing science fiction, and he does humanoid aliens, ones that look mostly human, as opposed to like Star Trekky humanoid, mm-hmm. where they're not necessarily human, but they still got two legs. Um, and one of the things he does. And you, you can actually see this happen in the movie as well, is that the good guys are very good, and it's enhanced by the fact that the bad guys are all just bad, really bad, you know, generally speaking, meanies. Yes. Well, that's something you also see a lot in uh, in children's uh, like films and literature that have to deal with telepathic children, where it tends to be that the kids especially are very they're very disadvantaged like in this case you've got orphan children um, who are at the the mercy of foster homes and orphanages and everything and they're very 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 good because otherwise if they had any sort of I guess gray area or any sort of anger or whatever behind them you'd end up with really evil telepathic children having those types of powers like Carrie Yes, I was going to say because, yeah, Carrie is the, the dark end of that, and then you have things like Escape to Witch Mountain and Matilda, which are on the more happy, family-friendly side of it. So you, you know why that is, though, Rachel, right? Because with great power comes great comes responsibility. Great <laughs> In my notes, I put, I put that he is a little Peter Parker because of the baseball scene. Yeah, you know what's scary? Ike Iserman there, he looks the same today as he did when he was 11. He really, really does. Unlike his, <laughs> unlike his, unlike his co-star, <laughs> who many of you probably don't realize you're watching, if you watch Bravo TV or anything NBC, um, his co-star, Kim Richards, is one of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. I, I was unaware of that. Yes, yeah, so Tia, Tia, Tia Malone is um, Kim Richards from... And she currently does... She's currently filming season, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> um, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, her and her sister Kyle. Both are on the, both are on the series. Does she use telepathy? 
No, but she likes turtles. Well, that's clearly important, yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, who, who, who doesn't like turtles? <laughs> I do. I like the ones at the beach club. Charlotte there you go. is friendly to the ones at the beach club. We stop Fair a lot enough. there and talk to them. Todd, since you're you're more familiar with the book, I actually had a question for you. Um, okay. I was reading up about the book, and it said that Tia doesn't communicate normally in the book. Like, she can communicate by telepathy, but she can't actually speak or something? Is... Yeah, she doesn't really talk, except to, except to Tony. Okay. Yeah, that seemed to be one of the biggest changes between the book well, and the movie, along right. with uh, O'Day's character, is well, very the, different. The interesting thing about, about it is that it's actually Tony who is the oddball there in his race, not in the book, not the other way around. So it's not normal for their race to talk to begin with. Tony's actually the one with the deficiency, not her. Mm. Yes, because from- we, yes, we find out from, from in that race that comes out in race. I feel. Oh. All right. Well, it's like Seth and Sarah in race. Yes. Right? Okay. Yes. Sarah, Sarah's the one doing most of the talking in race. And Seth isn't doing much talking in race. Fair enough. True. All right. So, uh, talking about Escape to Witch Mountain, uh, like we said, very successful for Disney, made a lot of money. Uh, it is, to say the least, it is a film that if you told someone it was made in 1975, uh, I don't think you would find a lot of surprise when watching it, um, because it, it's like the characters are firmly set in that era. It's a very modern, uh, uh, or I should say, in this case, retro, but at the time, it, it was very much of the 70s, is what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> I, right down to the music and, and everything. The hairstyles? The hairstyles, all of it, yeah, really. Um <laughs> Do you know the theme song is like I, – I didn't realize it until I was researching for this – is like one of the most beloved pieces of um, Disney music from that era. I didn't know that, but by, people by like – whom? I don't know, but people love it. I mean like every time I would come up with something, it was about the theme and not about the actual movie. Interesting. The theme, is that the theme from the opening credits? Yeah. I like the opening credits a lot for this movie. I I got really excited when I was watching. I was like, "Wow, I don't I had no expectations going into this, but I like the tone that they're setting." Wait, wait. So this is the first time you saw this? Yes. Wow. This is the, this is the first too, time Todd. I I, well, I knew I knew you. I, I I knew you. I just like I I I am surprised that we're like on a 50/50 level here. This is kind of cool. Oh, interesting. Because, yeah, as I was telling you guys before the call, um I watched this a few years ago with the kids and my kids love it. So, apparently, it is a popular one with the, with the kids. So. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting motions now from my son, who dislikes it. Um, I'm guessing that is the stabbing motion he's making, is that he does not like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually turning red. It's quite impressive. Tell him he needs his eyes. Stop stabbing them. <laughs> There, there, there were some machine gun motions as well, I believe, is, is what's going on. Okay, so I, I, I misspoke. Uh, my daughter did enjoy it. Uh, my son, not quite as much. Although he did sit next to me and make fun of it for about 20 minutes last night when we were watching it. So, 
There you go. I before we get into it and start doing our walkthrough, I mean, I, I figure we throw facts in throughout. Absolutely. Um, for this one, just because this otherwise it's just a lot of dialogue and riding around in the movie. <laughs> um, yes, there, there's lots. There's a lot of walking. There is a mockumentary about this. I don't know if anybody else watched this. Are you no. serious? Yes. So it actually, first of all, at the end has um, Ike and Kim are both in it. Okay, at the end, playing Tony and Tina. Just so you, Tia, just so you know. Okay, it is called the Blair Witch Mountain Project. Oh no! <laughs> it is actually directed by Ike Eisenman because he is a director now, mm-hmm. among other things. Um, and it is uh, starring a voice actress named Hope Levy playing a woman named Blair something or other. That's why it's the Blair Witch Mountain Project. So it's, what she's doing is she's trying to actually go on a mission to find Tony and Tia. And it's it's just weird. And then it has a Blair Witch moment in the middle of it where she gets the camera and starts running around like a crazy woman. But it, it's nice because it kind of actually interviews different people who were in the movie, in all the movies. The, I mean both the movies, the original two, not uh, Race but escape and return. And then the Winnebago flies at the end. Well, because what movie is complete without the flying Winnebago? I absolutely agree. I mean, I think that was the major flaw in Avengers is that there was no flying Winnebago taking on the Chitauri. See, as opposed to Incredibles, see? Right, which had the flying Winnebago. (laughs) I knew where you were going with that. Yeah, I laughed for a solid five minutes when when it started flying. I just went, wait, what? (laughs) This is not happening. (laughs) I believe that was the point at which I asked my wife if I needed to go pick up a bottle of wine from the uh, grocery store. I don't know if those two events were related, but I'm just saying, I think they could have been. Did she watch it with you? Uh, She saw the last 20 minutes. She saw it with me a few years ago, and she has vowed not to do so again. But yes, she saw the last 20 minutes of it and wasn't impressed. Again. Uh, I'm more lukewarm on it than, than her and apparently my son, uh, who, who is very dis- distasteful towards it. Uh, so as Todd mentioned, there is a lot of walking and running going on in this movie. And it starts right with the opening credits that Rachel talked about, uh, where we have animated dogs chasing shadowy figures, uh, which doesn't play into immediately the first part of the film, but it's sort of, it's very thematic for what the film is about. So I'm with you, Rachel. I actually like the opening credits. I think they're a little long, but it's the 70s. That's the way things worked. <laughs> I'm just thinking, I'm laughing that you said that because really like in today's movies, they start the movie and the credits are still playing through the, the first five minutes of dialogue in the movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, there are no <laughs> opening credits in movies these days. It's just like, you know, well, let's, let's get to the action and then we'll play some stuff. Or in the case of things like, you know, like the Marvel films, they don't even do opening credits. They only do them at the end. Yeah. But then they do the bonus scenes at the end, too, so. As they do every week on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. If you stay tuned. Uh... So the movie, the movie starts with uh, Tony and Tia, the young young children who have apparently their their adoptive parents, the Malones, have been, have died, and they're being placed into an orphanage. So they are placed into the orphanage. Uh, the the lady comes out to meet them and brings them into Pinewoods Orphanage, uh, where they are sitting and filling out forms with a young redheaded gentleman by the name of Truck. 
I'm I didn't know that. his name. I just called him Evil Ron Howard in my notes. <laughs> Fair enough. He's also not the kid from Family Affair or the kid from Sigmund and the Sea Monster, just so people don't confuse them. He's Truck. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, but a lot of people think it's the same kids. So that's what I'm saying. They're not the same. Correct. But, but his name is Truck. It is Truck. Yeah. Uh, and so he's he's sort of you know getting onto their case a little bit you know kind of trying to basically it's like if you've seen any kid interaction films in the past right there's always a kid that's trying to assert his dominance and so it's it's real Lord of the Flies type stuff is what I'm saying. Well, it, it does him justice because he is now a cinematographer. He's doing currently the Tomorrow People. And he's done many CSI and stuff like that. And well, he probably did the Tomorrow People. I don't think no, the last... No, no, there's a new show called Tomorrow People. They're making a... Wait, 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 yes. wait, wait. It's They're on, making yeah. another the remake of the Tomorrow People? Yes, it's on the CW. Yep. I did not know this, sorry. Yeah, they've been, they've been advertising for it, so... I've been, I've been getting emails and things. <laughs> yeah, I've actually it's, seen it's both out. the original and the... And the remake series, and now there's another remake series. This is the best. But our, our friend Truck here is a pain, basically, is what's going on. He's just basically trying to pick on Tony and Tia uh, for no for no real reason. Um, so he then eventually they get settled in and, and they go out and play baseball out in the yard. And Truck hits the ball. Tony is playing the outfield. And we see Tony use some sort of paranormal abilities to get the ball. The ball's way up high. He basically floats up, grabs the ball. He can. He has telekinesis, is what we find out. Hey, did you know that this was the very first special effect that I? I'm just going to call him Ike because I hate saying his last name. Ike uh, yes. ex- experienced ever was uh, the special effect of jumping. I did not know that. Yeah. So, oh, and the orphanage was apparently a real Palo Alto orphanage, not like just some random building. Like all the other kids, except for these three actors, were actually kids who were at the orphanage at the time. Well, the uh, the head of the orphanage, Retta Shaw, um, you might recognize her as the maid from Mary Poppins, and this was actually her last film. Yes. Although she didn't die until 1982. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this I just totally didn't recognize one. that. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. It is her. All right, so this sets up a confrontation between Tony and Truck because Truck is, you know, upset. He's like, oh, you cheated. You had to have st- stood on something. And he basically tries to get in a fight. Tony uses his telekinesis to fight back. So he has the glove. You know, he uses the telekinesis to shove himself back when Trucks tries to punch him. He uses the glove and rubs it in his face. He holds the bat up, so Truck punches the bat. Like, basically freaks all the other kids out, as you would imagine. Uh, Because he showed his telekinesis. Meanwhile, Tia is communicating telepathically to him. So we immediately know that these kids are not exactly kosher, right? They're, They're different than other kids. And the other kids recognize it. Fortunately, they well, but they don't get burned at the stake at that point either. So, so that's a win, is what we're yes, saying. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so yes, they they end up uh, escaping this fate uh, and living in the orphanage at least for a short time. 
because and, and one thing to mention is that Tia what becomes sort of a uh, object of importance it's sort of the MacGuffin for the entire film is Tia carries this star case that's what she calls it it's basically just like it's like a purse but it's a it's a case a very a metal case that has a star on the outside so if you can't this is my biggest problem with the whole thing is like if you can't figure out what Tony and Tia are just from looking at the star case because it looks like a 1950s sci-fi movie like it sort of gives the game away right there. Okay, I don't know if you're supposed to not figure out what they are right away. Then why did they not figure it out right away? That's it's, that's the thing is like they they go through the whole bit uh, like so spoilers folks they're aliens as Todd sort of alluded to earlier, but like they go through this whole thing to where like it's not until what fifteen minutes to go in the movie that they basically reveal that's what that's what it is going on yeah well their memories come back just at the most convenient moments just so that it's just so that it can move them to the next point in the story which is kind of annoying i'm with rachel the the the, it's it's very memory based yeah well and, and nothing against the actors but like the kids the dialogue and the way that they they sell the memory base is so ham-fisted, at least to me. <laughs> well, they're, they're like JD on Scrubs. They just kind of she gets this far-off look in her eyes and is all of a sudden off in Dream World. So, well, and then when they come back, they bas- she basically reiterates everything the audience just saw. Like Tony, we were out in the ocean with a boat, and there was water. We were <laughs> Tia. I mean, like, that's literally how it goes. Am I right? Well, and and then there's the flashback where she all of a sudden has all these memories about their in, the industry on their home planet. <laughs> about that they're, the only industry left was building spaceships. Yeah, and I'm, which and makes I'm just no thinking they were, they were about three and five years old when they crash land and they were separated, you know, like for years. And somehow they have all this knowledge about the industry of their home planet. Right, and, and understand in the movie, just so people know, they're thirteen and eleven in the movie. That was the intentional age. If you read all the stuff that John Yu and wrote and, and talked about in his interviews. Yep. So they go through that that piece, and of course, have now made an enemy of Truck, who threatens them by taking Tia's star case as they are getting ready to go into a field trip to the movies. Uh, and it acts, acts, you know, in the scuffle over the staircase, accidentally breaks it, which becomes important later uh, once they get back to the orphanage. But meanwhile, they go to this field trip to the movies. They come out of the movies. Tia looks it, across it's the street. movie. Snow White. It is Snow White. It is. Very true. I, w- oh. I had a problem with this part. Snow Why? White? Yes. Why? They spelled dwarves wrong. Oh, they spelled it V E S. I forget. Yes. Oh, Cheryl watched that, it again this afternoon. So that is correct. V E S is the incorrect spelling. Dwarfs is spelled with an with an F. Good catch, so, Cheryl. You know how Mister Winky there jumps at Truck to like whack the thing out of his hand. Yes. Right. The in an, one of his interviews, the kid who plays Truck actually complained that he still had a scar because Winky scratched him at that point. 
I don't think I believe that. I don't know if I believe it. I'm just saying he said it in an interview. It was a real cat, apparently, from everything I, I read. All the animals were real, so. But they were not harmed in the making of the movie. No, but they didn't have to put that in movies back then. Yeah. But yes, uh, I, I did fail to mention the, the real third star of the film, which is the cat, Winky, who shows up basically out of nowhere and becomes Tia and Tony's best friend. Well, what are her superpowers is like some kind of animal control, but more like along like the lines of like modern Aquaman where she has to like have a conversation with it to yes. convince it it wants to do the things she wants it to do. Yeah, I, I would agree. She is as useful as Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> Aquaman commands the octopi. <laughs> and if you're in the ocean fighting him, you're in trouble. Otherwise, not so much. So Tia goes to Snow White. She looks across the street. There's a gentleman there about to get into a, not really a limousine, but like a Cadillac or something like that. Uh, And she has a premonition, which is apparently another one of her powers. That's actually my biggest problem with her is like her powers are very ill-defined. Like she has, she's telepathic, at least outgoingly. Um, she can talk to animals with her mind, and she has premonitions, and maybe she can move stuff here and there if it suits the plot. And she can randomly overhear conversations that were going on in, like, another part of the house? Yes, she can She can do things that are unexplained and don't really relate to one another. Yeah, well, him, really, they, 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 there's a lot of telekinesis in this movie. Right, ill-defined telekinesis. Yes, I I agree. Okay, because you got Tony, who sometimes can do telekinesis without music, but most of the time has to do music to do it. Right. Yes. But I got out of that. You have her, who supposedly she can do fine control because she can unlock locks, right? And she can cock a gun, right? Because she does that. But then again, they show him do the fine control also, so I don't really understand why he has to use the music and she doesn't. That's not clear. No, not at okay. all. But you I, also just, that, I thought the, the scene with where he was playing the harmonica and drawing the, the, um, the mansion on the wall I thought was really cool looking, though. Yes. I had a problem with that scene. Well, can um, we finish the scene before we go to the next scene? Sorry. We, we'll get to my problem when we get to that scene. Yeah. So Tia has a premonition that this gentleman with the, the car across the street should not get in the car. Uh, they run across the street, and this is where we meet um, Duranian, played by Donald Pleasance, who many of you may know from his role in the Halloween films. Don't watch those kids. Uh, if you're an adult, go to town. But if you're a kid, no, no, no. No, no, uh, I'm not watching me though. No, 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 Cheryl, you don't need you don't need to come anywhere near those. But he he is there, and they go and try to uh, stop him from getting in the car because Tia has had this premonition, and they are successful in doing so. Basically, he does not, and the next thing you know, here comes a out of control van and smashes into the car. So they had saved his life. So uh, as they are being transported back to the, the orphanage, we flash over to Duranian, 
who is, informs his employer, who is a millionaire, Aristotle Bolt, uh, that Bolt ha- that he's found what Bolt's looking for. Bolt is being advised by three people who, frankly, serve no real purpose other than to show that he's a that Bolt is a crazy person. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I he does kind of call them out on it being. Um, useless to him so which begs the question why are they there i tend to agree <laughs> so well, it, it kind of reminded me of um how they talk about hitler was obsessed with the supernatural and yes. i mean that's what all of the indiana jones films are based on i fit i figured that he was just kind of like that that he was this rich powerful guy that is really interested in getting powers so that he can become more rich and powerful yeah I some of his lines are great though. <laughs> well, the thing is with Bolt is that he's actually fairly clear. It's actually fairly clear that what they want, what he wants, is he wants somebody who has some sort of paranormal abilities that he can use to make himself money. But they never really come out and say that's why he wants them. They just say he wants people with paranormal abilities. Yeah, well, it's clear that that's why he wants the kids. Though I mean, he says you know that that does become clear. Yes, no, that's true. I'm saying at this point in the film, it's just yeah. like, okay, I have a bunch of crazy people around me. That's great. But yes, yeah, so he, he, when Duranian comes to him with this, he says, you must retrieve these children at all costs. Um, so meanwhile, back at the Ponderosa, or the Pinewoods, we have Tony playing his harmonica and drawing, using a crayon to draw on the glass. Uh, and he's basically, he's drawing Bolt's house is what he's doing, as we find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Tia comes in, and this is where we get the reveal that the star case is broken, and underneath the top of the star case, there is a map to a place called Stony Creek. And they're trying to figure out what it means in their typical, gee, Tony, what do you think it means? Sort of witty repartee that these two have throughout the film. And flashback. Yes, and they have more flashbacks. To basically all the flashbacks, unlike except for the one that Rachel mentioned about the industry on their their town, are of the two of them with a gentleman uh, on a raft, basically in the ocean. Then they get rescued. They're on a boat and they sail into a harbor. Like it's all the same flashback. They just show you different pieces of it, or you know the length of time that you're in it is different. But that it, that's all the flashback is. I have an issue with the flashback. Don't we all? <laughs> the guy is so grainy that I thought for a while it was Eddie Albert. Okay. I can see that. I can see that. And I was like, why is he with them in this area? Are they, are they seeing? Because they say she sees the future. And they say they can see the future in the past. So I'm like, Okay, so are they seeing a future with them? Like they get go to which they're going to which mountain via you know a sea and you know. Oh yeah, I get what you're saying. Uh, and, yeah. and get capsized. I was very confused by that. Well, they yeah. One of the apparently in the book, it's one of those things that's explained better. But one of the ships crash landed, and the 
and the other ones and like a lot of kids were lost because I was carrying a lot of kids so they're strewn all over the world and so what the the adults that were left did because it's not just Uncle Benet there's more but they're not shown in the movie um they they made a commune in Witch Mountain okay and then they figure all the kids have star maps so all the kids will eventually come back to them is what they figure if they stay put where that is but I don't understand how they knew they you know ahead of time to make the map. That part's never clear anywhere. Yeah, that that was the yeah. part that I don't get at all. It's yeah. like they they made the maps and gave them to the kids, even though they hadn't settled in the place they made the maps to. Well, the kids also knew about like this phone. I'll go. For, we'll talk about it later. We're <laughs> yeah. going way too far. <laughs> but let's talk about my biggest problem with this scene. Please. Okay. The crayon is drawing magic marker. Yes, it is. I have a problem with this. <laughs> <laughs> it says crayon on the side, and there's magic marker on the wall. It, yes. On the mirror, or whatever it was. It's a mirror, right? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I'm good. Okay, alright. As long as we're clear. <laughs> yeah, it... The thing is, like, if you start pulling at this is one of those movies that, like, if you start pulling on the threads of the sweater, it's gonna unravel really quickly, right? Like, like we've we've kind of been doing of well, how did they know to make the map, or why did her powers work this way, or whatever? Like, it's very clear that when making this movie, they basically had in mind a escape film, as we're about to get to, uh, and they they just basically adapted whatever they needed to fit the situation they were in at the given point in the story. That that a fair assessment? Yeah. I got no arguments. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't one of... The, and, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Like, there are great movies that do that. Right? So, it, it's just that they didn't sit and go, like... There is an obsession these days in Hollywood, in some cases, with making sure that every piece fits together in a certain way. I mean, Pixar is notorious for this, right? Like, they they will stop movies and assign them to different directors if they had had some of the inconsistencies that is in this film. Yeah, I think the script just needed another, like, pass by someone or another rewrite. Maybe that's what's happening in Black Hole. (laughs) <laughs> it could be. Could be. Good point. So, Duranian has to go and get the kids. He poses as their long-lost uncle, Lucas Duranian, uh, forges all the paperwork, those sorts of things, and takes them to Bolt's mansion, where Bolt sets up this, like, elaborate, huge suite for them with their own bedrooms and a puppet show and an ice cream counter. I have questions about the ice cream counter. I will come back to, uh, there are other things. There's a place for Winky, the cat that they apparently stole from the orphanage, you know, all (laughs) kinds of stuff for them to do in this room. So my question on the ice cream counter, he hands them ice cream cones when they walk in. Why would you build an ice cream counter in your bedroom area if you're not going to have somebody there to serve the ice cream, wouldn't you be better just with an ice cream freezer? Debate. Um, because you can get it and take it to bed. Right, but my point being, why have a counter with all the ice cream behind the counter set up like a soda fountain oh. if there's no one there to serve you the ice cream? <laughs> I guess, but a lot of people build themselves bars in their home only to serve themselves drinks by walking behind them, right? 
I think most people build bars to entertain other people. Yeah, but you said, like, there's always those scenes where, like, in Avengers, where Tony Stark is talking to Loki, he walks behind the bar and makes himself a drink. It's a fair point. I'm just, I just want to pass this conversation (laughs) and say that this, um, this reminded me of a place that Tar and I visited recently, um, that really hit home for me, was this reminded me of Gig Kids World. Yeah, it does have that. So Give Kids the World actually has an ice cream parlor at it where the kids who are staying there can, and their families can go and get ice cream whenever they want it. Let me repeat that yeah. again. Go to a free ice cream parlor and get it whenever they want it. Okay, fair enough. Got it. Well, I thought the notion of tempting two young blonde children with sweets and toys was very like Hansel and Gretel. Yes. Oh, there, is, there is a little bit of that, yeah. That's a good call. Like, especially with the, with the ice cream counter and uh, having that as part of it, so. He keeps giving them ice cream. Like, every <laughs> scene he gives them ice cream. Yep, and they don't question it, not no. once. Their eyes just go wide and they eat it and they're good. Um, the mansion uh, is at, that they used to film this is actually, well, was at the time the uh, old Crocker uh, mansion that was in the... Uh, Carmel, California. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's a like high-rise office building thing, but that was that was a mansion that they used. I just figured I'd mention that. I really like the look of the house in the movie because when they first drive up and the kids are getting out and there's the guy standing there with the ice cream. I mean, it feels it's kind of like every orphan kid's dream, you know, getting to go live in a in a castle. But then later on in the movie, when they're making their escape, it looks much more like a prison, like the way that it's lit and everything, when the, especially that shot of them running down the hallway, which I thought was a really great transformation in their in their time uh, living there. Definitely. Yeah. it's And it's interesting, too, because like, I feel like the way that this all plays out uh, in that, you know, obviously when they first show up, they're all happy and interested and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's great, but they, then it like the turn that they don't trust bolt or Duranian happens before bolt actually reveals that he just wants them for their powers. Did anybody else notice that? Like, like they go ahead and they're like, Oh, I don't trust this guy. We've got to get out of here. And then Ice he reveals. Cream. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know what I'm saying? Like they they go, oh, we trust this guy. We've got to get out of here, Tony. And then Bolt says, you know, you, I want your powers to make money off of. And that's the night they choose to escape. They had already made up their mind to escape before he reveals himself. Well, uh, Tia had. Tony hadn't. Like Tony actually argued with her and said, well, you don't, you don't always know this stuff. Like you think that you might know. What, what his intentions are, but you're not always right about this. Right, but they had the plan to escape before he said anything, because basically they tried to escape immediately after. Yeah, I mean, they probably had a plan in place just in case she was right, but they, he wasn't entirely on board with it until the whole dinner scene. True. Yeah, we're both, and, and basically the dinner scene is 
Bolt saying, you're going to make money for me. You're going to, you know, make oil shoot out of the ground. You're going to do, you know, X, Y, and Z that's going to use your abilities to make money. Because what happens is he has installed cameras in their rooms. And so one night they decide uh, Tony plays his harmonica and makes the puppets come to life, which is creepy. <laughs> I was going to ask how you guys came down on that scene. If you, if you felt it was more whimsical or creepy. Creepy. <laughs> I thought it was a little Mary Poppins. Yeah, I like the flapper bird and the purple elephant, but the clown puppet was really scary. (laughs) Why do people fear clowns? Because they kill people. (laughs) In one movie. Right, but I'm... See, like, you're already backing up. You're like, oh, other places. And there was the serial killer dude. Sorry. Yeah, it happens. Fair enough. Yeah, th- that was that was the moment when the purple elephant showed up that Eric just turned to me and goes, I'm getting an overload of whimsy here. This is just too much. <laughs> yeah. A little much. It's like to your point, Todd. I think they were actually trying to make a Mary Poppins esque or something moment out of that. You know what I'm saying? Like I think I that's agree. what they were attempting to do. But yeah. yeah, the idea behind the scene is very sweet. I mean, because there's kids all the time for their parents. They'll put on like a little show, or you know, when their grandparents come over, they'll put on a play, or you know, get out their puppets or whatever. And but since they don't have any parents, they only have each other. It's you know, the brother just trying to cheer up his sister and do something fun for. Her. So I thought that was I thought that was sweet, but as far as how well it plays out, you know. I'm then a then there's a creepy divided. clown. <laughs> let's let's not forget that right before that she was talking to a horse. Yes. <laughs> also creepy. I'd like to give my I'd love to give props to a not creepy character that I like Diamond Ryan's host, Fred the Bunny. He is not creepy, and like him coming live to dance would have been fine. You can follow Fred the Bunny on Twitter too. Although, although one of our favorite listeners is is is, is his arch rival. Nemesis. This is this is very true too. Yeah. So yeah, right, Tia, as as Todd mentioned, had made friends with the the horse Thunderhead earlier the the horse that could not be tamed of course she could talk to the horse and immediately tamed it so that that factors into their escape because they managed to get out because tia can open the lock even though tony cannot i don't understand that one but that can happen uh they open the lock they get out they use their abilities to uh tia tells the dogs the guard dogs that are chasing them to go away uh, and chase the people who are chasing them. Uh, they contact Thunderhead, who comes, and they get Winky the cat to run up to the security guard, who's literally holding a lever, which keeps the gate closed. Uh, and he's allergic, which we found out when they first got there, and it makes him sneeze, let go of the gate. They hop on Thunderhead and ride away bareback, away from Bolt's compound. I'm just going to let that all sink in. This is is why you don't anger telepathic children. Yeah, I I guess. Or children that can talk to animals. It's sort of like Mark Wahlberg talks to animals, but not quite. (laughs) (laughs) Say hi to your mother for me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. 
<laughs> yep. Yeah. It, it. So they managed. They do manage to escape. Uh, and they're able to do so and uh, get away, and they're trying to figure out where they're going to go, uh, and Dranian is sent after them, as well as this thug who's called Uberman. Did anybody else see the irony in him being called Uberman? I was letting it ride. Yeah, I saw that too. (laughs) I didn't see it in the movie. I didn't really catch it in the movie. I saw it in the credits. Yeah. So yeah, they're trying to escape. They go through a few different places trying to escape, and they manage to hide in the back of a Winnebago, who it, that is owned by a man named Mr. O'Day, Jason O'Day, uh, and he does not want them around. He's trying to get rid of them uh, until you know he they start. He starts talking. Tia starts talking about her memories of the disaster at sea. They kind of explain the whole story that bolts after them, and uh, all this stuff is going on. And he sort of warms up to them a bit, uh, but he doesn't agree to take them anywhere until he's out on the beach. He drove them down to the beach, and he's trying to get rid of them. And he dropped his keys, but Tia starts the car without the keys. Apparently, she is also good at auto repair. Well, I, I don't think he actually discovered them until they went to the beach. Oh, you're right. You're right. They yeah. Hit the but, car. Yeah. But because because he takes an immediate liking to that cat, and he's just like, "Oh, I'll go get you some tuna." Wait, wait a minute, though. Okay, now up until this point in the movie, the cat is called Mister Winky, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. He lo- takes one look at Mister Winky and starts referring to it as she and her for the whole movie. So, I didn't notice that, but I have. I big, did not notice. I have it, big yeah. in my notes that says Mr. Winky is a she. <laughs> How I sad. think. I think if it had been up to O'Day, I think he would have kept the cat and left the kids. <laughs> at this point, at this point in his development, I would agree with that. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I and, and also you're using the term development very loosely there, but go ahead. Yeah, because he like just turn like he takes like a sharp U turn at the like not too long after this. Uh, <laughs> I my other big note uh, at this point is don't the kids in this movie go to school? I mean, not just these kids, but like any of the kids in this movie. No, they, well, they had said, um, the guy who captured them, Bolt, had said that he was going to hire tutors, and the tutors were going to come to the mansion and tutor them. Oh, yes. is that what he said? Okay, yes. he did. Fair yes. enough. Fair enough. So it's just like school mentioned. <laughs> it occurred to me like a lot of time is passing in this movie when you think about it, and there's no school. I think it's implied, like Cheryl said, like he did mention, I'm going to get tutors, and your tutors will show up in the morning and all this kind of stuff. Fair enough. Yeah, because the kids had asked about, well, where are all the other kids? And I think like when school was brought up, because he he owns like all that land and he's like we don't have any neighbors you're basically never going to see any other kids and we're going to have private tutors set in sent in so you won't even get to meet kids at school you want to hear painful does anybody remember how much it cost him to fill up the tank of gas in the Winnebago <laughs> a lot of money ten dollars okay I looked up, so the size of a gas tank in a 1978 Winnebago, yeah, Google's great, by the way, folks, um, was 26 gallons. That means he paid approximately 35 cents a gallon. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) 
just wanted to show everybody how painful that was. Mm. <laughs> and he even complains about the price of the gas. He, he does. He has no idea. Yeah, it's bad. But yes, the the guy who was actually filling the tank reports him and sends the cops after them, uh, which Tony chases off because he lights up the motorcycle and sends it into the ocean. <laughs> that poor cop. Where the cop just stands there and like the the motorcycle is coming to life and he's just kind of looking at it like, wow, that's interesting. I wonder what I'm gonna have for dinner tonight. Like that's literally the expression on his face. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, I'm like, dude, your motorcycle is about to go over the edge. Well, I mean, what's I, he really gonna do at that point, right? Fair enough, but it, I think it speaks actually to a bigger problem in that, like, I think it felt like it took five minutes for that motorcycle to go over the edge. Th- this movie pacing wise is slow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, all the stuff we just talked about is probably, what, two-thirds of the movie? And it's, I mean, nothing really happens until they meet Jason O'Day. And then after after they meet him, they just drag out the question of the mystery of it for so long. So once they actually reveal it, they have to put all this exposition in, like, a few minutes. It's just so much exposition all at once. And stakes and, you know, this character, this uncle that we're supposed to care about at the end when they meet him. And I was like, I don't really care. I care a lot more about O'Day because we've spent more time with this character. Yeah, we'll talk about the uncle when we get there because, wow. Uh, But yes, so eventually this convinces Jason to take them uh, to Witch Mountain. Uh, because or or just Stony Creek at that point, um, they don't they don't know that it's called Witch Mountain until they get there. Um, but they end up having to split up, and so Tony and Tia have to go to a certain one direction, and Jason goes to another direction, and they're supposed to meet up at Hiram O'Day, Jason's brother's house, mm-hmm. uh, and the, the the kids eventually cause a mob because they get captured by a cop, and Tony manages to create the incredible attacking broom man to attack the cop. <laughs> that cop freaked out a bit much at his coat rack. One would think that a giant cop, I mean, he's a big guy, would be able to handle a broom being swung at him by a jacket. But he hides under a chair and screams like a little girl. Again, it feels like it goes on for about five and a half minutes. I think it's probably like a minute and a half, but it feels very, very long. Yeah, the scene was long, but I did, I did like the uh, the broom man because he reminded me of the scarecrow from Howl's Moving Castle. Oh, good call. Yeah, it's true. But yes, this incident convinces the cop that the kids are witches and that they are from Witch Mountain. So he gets a, gets himself up a good old-fashioned mob. I think, okay, this is where I got confused. I think he had run into this before, possibly. Like, you know, because apparently he lives in the area. So maybe he ran against kids trying to return home like this before. And that's, that's how he knew. You know what I'm saying? Once, once they started using their powers, he knew. Well, Uncle Benet says they're the first to return, so... Yeah, which, which I also had a problem with. That they've known that these kids were out there 
for this long. They didn't go looking for them. They didn't go trying to figure out where they were. They just kind of sat on a mountain and waited for them. Yeah, I have a question. Why okay. is there a bear locked up right next to the jailhouse? That's a one of the most famous bears. Did you know that? No, I did not know this. I'm going to tell you a little story. <laughs> All right, everybody pull up a chair. It's story time. No, no, no. That's just quick. I'm just joking. Um, so uh, the acting name of this bear is Bruno the Bear. Does anyone recognize that? Is he from Toby Tyler? No. Uh, so Bruno the Bear is always the acting name of the bear that plays Gentle Ben in any telling of Grizzly Adams. And at this time period, this is – one of the gentle Ben one of one of the bears used as gentle Ben in what was it, the Adventures of Grizzly Adams or whatever it was that was going on in the seventies. Pretty cool, huh? Very. I did read somewhere that the bear was only awake for a very short time during the day, and because of the child acting laws at the time, the kids were only allowed to to be on set for a certain number of hours each day, so they had to constantly be coordinating um, the children's hours with the bear's sleep schedule for the scenes they had to do with the bear. Yeah, brown (laughs) bears are nocturnal, so... Yeah... Yeah, there's a bear. Yeah, so. that still does not answer my question. Why is it locked up next to the jailhouse? Because <laughs> it was like Toby Tyler. It was in. It was in. It was in the. It was in ready to be performing. <laughs> there was a circus in town. Yep. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't know. I can't explain it. But there was a bear. They found the bear. They used the bear to get away. Uh, they managed to well, they reunite asked the bear with Jason. Help them. They asked yes. Him. Yes. And he did. The bear does help them and chases off some of the mob, but they, they manage to reunite with Jason. Uh, and they start making their way up Witch Mountain in the Winnebago, being chased by Duranian and Uberman. And now Bolt has joined the fray, uh, and he is in a helicopter chasing them. This is like the, the, the last bit of the film is this thing. And eventually they make it to Stony Creek. They pull into the co-op, as you do when you pull into a strange town go in the door of the co-op and get a phone call from their uncle whom they've never met, although they've seen him in these flashbacks, who tells them what they are to do next, which is to keep Duranian and Bolt on their tail so that they can demonstrate something to them. Um, And he speaks to the children telepathically, apparently from a distance of about 50 miles away, based on how long the rest of the driving takes. Yes. So it's it's very confusing. Like at this point, you know that they are aliens and something's going on here, right? Because all of the memories and things are coming back to them. But it but why the interactions are going the way they are doesn't make much sense. The phone call is odd. The whole thing is odd. It's just like, hey, keep them here, and I'm ringing the phone. Like he can speak to them telepathically, but he has to call them on the phone. Yes, he also can. Uh, has uh, telekinesis that works over like 50 mile radius. Right. Well, it's the same question that everyone asks about Twilight. If the vampires can run that fast, why do they ever need to drive cars? Because cars are cool. (laughs) Because vampires like gasoline. I I, I don't know. I got nothing. Car wax is how they get their skin so shiny. 
Ah, I think we may have something there. Car wax and body glitter. <laughs> That's a dangerous combination right there. But yeah, so the kids are getting chased up the mountain by Duranian and Uberman and the mob folks. Uh, Tony flies a bag of flour up into one of their faces. But eventually they make it to the top of the mountain, and they the way that they make it to the top of the mountain is that their uncle, Benet, uh, who has been talking to them telepathically and over the phone, lifts the Winnebago into the air uh, alongside Mr. Bolt. They fly over Duranian's car, and they're flying alongside Bolt. They fly through a cloud, and all of a sudden, Bolt is flying upside down in his helicopter, which I am thinking would not be healthy. It, well, I mean, the way a helicopter works, it wouldn't work anyway. But but it works because... Uh... Benet there, Uncle Benet, is lifting them as well. He's, you know, he's carrying both vehicles. He's a very powerful telepath, or telekinetic. Yeah, well, hey. It's pretty cool. Uh, But he did that, basically. He showed Duranian and Bolt, you know, hey, this is what we can do, basically, so they'll back off. Um, And he takes the kids, lands the Winnebago, and so you, we haven't seen Uncle Benet except in the flashbacks yet, and all we've seen is, like like Cheryl said, he's just a fuzzy old man face. So he comes out of the bushes, not out of a spaceship. Basically, he's been hiding behind a tree. He comes out of the bushes, and he looks sort of like my Uncle Stan. I thought he looks like Uncle Jesse Duke. <laughs> yes. Like – and I'm saying my Uncle Stan, like, he's a rotund man in in jeans and a denim shirt. He looks like he should be picking and grinning at the Grand Ole Opry instead of flying a spaceship. So, so you know why I said what I said, right? I, I do. Yeah, because he is, he is actually the same actor that plays Uncle Jesse there. He's Denver Pyle, which is great because wait until you see the second movie. Cause oh, I've Hazard seen the second because yeah. Victor Hazard is in full force then, so then you, there is no mistaking him for Uncle Jesse at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I just realized the generation divide because when you say Uncle Jesse, I automatically think Full House, and I'm just like, no! Well, <laughs> Wrong that, that Uncle Jesse. My, no, that was my first impulse when he said it, and then I, I reached back. So I'm kind of in between you two. So. But yeah, no, it. it he doesn't look like an alien. He looks like your uncle who's, you know, taking you to get fried chicken, which he apparently has had quite a bit of. To be fair, neither do they. Fair enough. But (laughs) they at least have the stone-cold look in their eyes. You know what I'm saying? Like, they at least look a little weird. Yeah, they've acclimated to to Earth culture and learned English and everything. And as far as we know, he's been living in this little commune of the – you know, these aliens. So the question is why he would look so much like an earthling if they've all been, you know, living together here and not really going out into the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And this is just another awkward conversation too. Like every time I hear this, I, I just don't understand was if it was all a test or what. It doesn't make any sense, that's why. Because it's basically what he says is we gave them the star cases so that they would find their way here and they would find their way back to us. But it's like, but you left them alone for, like you said, 11 or 12 years. Um, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, and and the fact is there's more of them out, the, out there. Uh, 
and they're not looking for them, and then they climb in a spaceship and leave. And considering they're all from the same spaceship that crashed in one place, you would think there would be a certain amount of perimeter that they would say, okay, well, we only have to search within this state or within these couple of states, and we should be yeah. able to find them. Well, you, you read about the pilot for the TV series that never took, right? No. Okay, so there is a – so the, the sequel to this movie, as we discussed, is Return from Witch Mountain, right? Yes. There is a television pilot that's like about 40 minutes long uh, titled Beyond Witch Mountain. Okay, it's not really a movie, and it doesn't. It has um, the um, Jason O'Day is in it, but the two kids are in it. But it's not played by the same one. In fact, uh, the little girl Tia is played by Tracy Gould. Gold, how do you say that? From um, yeah, from can't remember that that sitcom, Growing Pains. Um, so it, it's basically they come back and they're looking for Uncle Benet's grandson. So they do, I guess, start to mount missions to come back for the kids for whatever reason. Yeah, that was confusing to me because I thought that they were setting that up, that he would be going out and finding more of these kids. But then the end is just really strange because then they take off in the, the ship to – go to wherever and I was like okay so is he going to bring them back here is there even going to be anyone waiting for him if he brings back more of these kids nobody I, knows Yeah, well, only the three of them leave it's unclear if there were even other people in that ship or not mm-hmm. or if there was other people on the mountain yeah like, well like I said he says there's a commune but we didn't see anybody right and, it, and in the book there is but it's not it's not really sh- – like you said, well, they just don't want to pay more actors and actresses. Then don't say it. Like just <laughs> you know, go like, hey, I came back to pick you guys up when I saw what was happening. Like, it, you know what I mean? Like it, it could have been that simple. It's not the best book adaptation. I mean people want to read the book. It's not a very long book from what I, re- from what I remember. I don't have a copy of it anymore, but um, it is not long. Yeah, probably probably buzz through it in the afternoon if you're an avid reader. Well, I thought it was interesting from what I read about the book that it's basically part of it with uh, O'Day, who in the book is a, a Catholic priest. It's him making the a religious case for there being other life in the universe. Um, yeah, yeah. There's actually um, in in the book there's a point where he's being questioned by thugs because the thugs the okay so Duranian in the book is actually the bad guy there. Uh, and he works for like a cabal in Europe or something like that, uh, you know, like a like a dark, shady organization. Mm-hmm. That's what cabal means for people who don't recognize the word. Um, and uh, there is no Aristotle Bolt. Aristotle Bolt in the movie represents that whole cabal. And uh, his men are questioning Father O'Day at one point in time in, in the thing, and he's and he's saying to them, it, it's perfectly believable they're not they're not normal kids they they don't even come from you know it's god could create you know life on other planets you know he does go through that whole conversation that's legitimately in the book gotcha but yeah that's that's the way the movie ends is is with that that whole setup of of them flying away and um telling oday that there's other people out there and basically ignoring them and and that's the end the spaceship flies off the worst spaceship special effects 
I've ever seen. And granted, it's 1975, but come on. Okay, which was worst of the special effects, though? The flower, the RV, or the spaceship? I would go with the RV. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd say the RV. Fair enough. I was going to say the upside-down helicopter, but... Oh, that one was really bad, too. Yeah, that's, that's fair. The, I'm going with the... I, I didn't like the special effects of um, the baseball field. I know you guys oh. all did, but I just didn't. Oh, and there, when he's, like, with the bit, with the bat and everything like that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought some of the, like, the smaller objects I thought worked well. Like, I think if you... Even though you said it was a creepy scene, the puppets were done well, mm-hmm. right? The gun, when she's holding the gun on the on Uberman there... The gun is oh well. yeah, we didn't talk about that. That was that was a moment where I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> where is this going?" Yeah, it was about to get real. Yeah. yeah, it it was it was what I was talking about earlier. Giving kids telekinetic powers just right. sometimes bad stuff happens. Yeah, they they exhibit a lot of uh, ESP in this movie too cuz like there's a whole they have they can see things that they don't that they're not near they can see into the past they can see into the future they can hear things that they're not near i mean so it's 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 whatever they need for the plot i i agree Here, here's a good example right during the scene where he's fighting truck the one that Cheryl was just talking about tony is doing those things on his own right cuz tia comes over and yells at him for doing it Right, he's got no musical accompaniment. Then, for the whole rest of the movie, to do his telekinesis, he needs the harmonica. Right. Okay. And he even says at one point, she goes, "Why don't you just do it without the music?" And he goes, "I forgot how. It was three days ago." Yeah. <laughs> Conveniently remembering and forgetting things. That's I, that's escape from which escape to which mountain. Yes. I yes, I agree wholeheartedly. It is very strange. But all right, so uh, is there are there any other notes or, th- or things of note that we want to talk about or discuss with with uh, Escape to Witch Mountain before we rate it? Um, I was just going to say that uh, of since vinyl is becoming a thing again, that if you can find them because I did see them available online for sale, but I don't have a record player to play them on. Is uh, you can get the old Disneyland Records had storyteller albums for this movie oh very nice okay which are which were always very exciting to have when you were kids the storyteller albums Mm -hmm. um and i also want to mention that uh walt disney showcase number 29 is the comic book adaptation of the movie because in those days they always did a comic book adaptation they they did well it ended like in the early 80s the comic book adaptation but it was still doing it and if you like the cast of this film most of them appear together again in hog wild That's a big if. <laughs> right now, Cheryl's like, "What? There's a no, there's a movie called Hog Wild. Let me tell you about Hog Wild for a second. I'll sum it up in one in one sentence: pig farmers versus bikers." Okay, fair enough. Uh, so before we rate it, <laughs> would would we all agree? Like, if you're a Disney fan, you should probably check this out. Yeah, yeah, I I I think it's worth a watch. 
Yeah. So I, I just want to, I mean, I know we, we've kind of bagged on it a little bit here and there, but I mean, it is, it's, it's one of those movies, just like if you watch older films, like anything of the 60s, 70s, or even some of the, the 30s and 40s films were a little quicker moving than this. But I mean, if you watch some of those older films, the pacing to a modern audience is going to feel slow. Uh, and this one feels almost painfully so. But if you can get past that, there's, there's some stuff in here to appreciate. So. Um, and, it, and like we said, it's one of the most successful Disney live action films, you know, budget wise uh, in, in quite some time or of that time, rather. Uh, all right. So ratings. Uh, Cheryl, I'm going to let you go first and tell me what you thought of Escape to Witch Mountain. Well, first, I thought um, I want to say we always talk about those background movies. I think this is one of those background movies. I think you can you know watch it once, then go find it on cable and start picking up from where you left off. Um, I really think that. Um, two, I I really liked this movie. I I've never seen it before, so I I liked it. I enjoyed it. I attempted to watch it again this afternoon, but I fell asleep during. It. <laughs> 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 Which just proves back the, the background movie theory. Um, I would give this. I'm thinking a three point two. I like it. All right, Rachel. I'm going to give it a 2.5, but I would knock it up to a four-star if um, instead of climbing in the back of O'Day's RV, they would have climbed in the back of Walter White's RV from Breaking Bad, <laughs> which you would have gotten a very different movie, but I think I think I would have given a much higher rating. Maybe True. climb in the back of a Herbie. That would have been nice. That would have been Ooh. interesting. Yeah, that would have been good. All right, uh, Mr. Perlmutter, your thoughts? Uh, yes. So, um, I like the movie. Um, it's not a great movie. I'll, I give it that. I mean, you, you gotta you gotta consider this, right, John? You there, right? He's primarily a television guy. I have a feeling that's why the movie is the way it is, right? Because, mm-hmm. as a good example, I know we're talking about it in two episodes, but Race to Witch Mountain is also based on Escape to Witch Mountain. It's not a third movie. It's actually a remake of this movie. Yep. Okay. Although so, I think I think I disagree with that, but Well no no, but I mean though well the studio doesn't. I so. don't care what the studio says. <laughs> <laughs> that's part of the that's part of the reason we have this podcast. Yes. No, but it's 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 um you know you know, you're talking about that is a better telling of the same story is what I'm getting at. This is just kind of sort of, for me, like a television drama-y thing more than it is a science fiction movie. I'd have okay. to disagree with you on that one, but uh, continue. But I, I would give it, for the, I think the acting is okay. Not great. Um, for me, it's it would be a two, except I'm giving it a two and a half because it has a flying Winnebago. Well, clearly that's the key for the climax of any film. Uh, however, I'm only, I'm going to uh, probably be lower than all of you guys. I will give it a two. Um, again, I, like I said, I think people need to see it, but it is very slow. It's it's a little bit difficult to watch. Um, I'm I'm with you, Cheryl. Like it's sort of a background movie. Like you can turn it on and be doing dishes and doing other things, and that way it doesn't feel quite as slow. You could catch some of the things that are going on and that sort of a thing. Um, but definitely worth to check it out. Uh, especially because we're going to be doing the other Witch Mountain films, so you're going to want to listen and uh, tune in all month long or all three weeks so that we can talk about all the witchy mountainness. 
All right, so uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode on Escape to Witch Mountain. Let us know what you guys thought of this movie. I'm sure there are people out there who have fond memories of this, who have all kinds of things that they want to talk about uh, with Escape to Witch Mountain. So we want to hear from you. Email us, DisneyFilmProject at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, DizFilmProject at, at this film project um, and of course we are also on Facebook and then you can also leave notes in the show notes, the comment section there on the website so lots of different options for you guys to, uh, to let us know what you think of the show so please do so, we would appreciate it and we were always listening to feedback so that we can do a better job with this program so uh, until next week for Rachel, for Cheryl, for Todd we will see you soon chase them on a magic carpet if you have to You're nothing but a conniving pair of undersized land pirates. Mysterious words and phrases haven't added one cent to my fortune. They're not upside down, we are!